Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. We are blessed to have Dr. Jordan Willard joining us again today, this time over Zoom. Uh, Jordan serves as the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Weddington. He is a three-time graduate here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is one of our regular content contributors for our center. Uh, Jordan, brother, thank you so much for taking time to come back and join us for this very important conversation today. Absolutely. Uh, thank you guys for having me back. Uh, super grateful for uh, both of you and uh, all that you do for the center. Um, looking forward to uh, today's episode. So brothers, today we're having a conversation on something very personal uh, for each of us, uh, a topic that we have had on our list for a while now. Jordan, you and I have been talking about this very episode, what it seems like for a couple of months now, uh, and that is shepherding couples, shepherding families who have experienced the tragedy of miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And Jordan, you, you wrote an article back in 2020 highlighting this month by sharing you and your wife's personal experience with this. Uh, and you also provided some really helpful tips for pastors on shepherding families who experience miscarriage. And, and that's what I want to do today. So I'd like to have a time where we we share our stories, uh, our experiences, and then provide some tips for pastors and leaders on how to counsel and care for couples in their churches who are experiencing this. So Jordan, why why don't we start with you maybe sharing a little bit of of y'all's experience. What what made you want to write the article that you wrote back in 2020? And we'll, we'll let you start us off. Yeah, so I'll I'll share our story. So my wife and I, um, Veronica, we uh, had our first child in uh, the beginning of 2014. And then in 2015, we got pregnant again. And uh, she carried uh, our second child somewhere between 10 to 12 weeks uh, before we discovered that uh, we had lost a child through miscarriage. And, you know, I, when, when we walked through that, it, it was something that I was completely unprepared for. It is not even something that, um, not even a thought occurred to us that this would happen to us. Um, we had zero complications with um, the first pregnancy with our daughter. And so, you know, we get pregnant and uh, it's for us, we're just this excitement, this joy, you know, we announced to everyone as soon as we, we found out and, uh, you know, we're just, you know how it is. I mean, when you're expecting a child, you begin to have all these plans and you begin to envision what life is going to be like now with this uh, additional child. And so everything's going along and uh, everything's going well as far as we can tell and it was on uh, september the 9th uh, 2015 we still remember the date we go in for a routine visit and I remember going into the the uh, the room and the nurse that's there we're looking at our beautiful child uh through the ultrasound and uh, you know we think everything is great and uh, all of a sudden uh, the lady, the sonographer, she 
she looks at us with um, concern on her face. And I, I remember in that dark room as we were, you know, looking at the ultrasound, as soon as I locked eyes with her, I just knew something was not okay. And uh, she just wasn't talking that much. And so this joy and, uh, you know, this expectancy that we had in that moment, it just like, it left my heart. And uh, all of a sudden I was filled with this dread and I'm looking at her and she looks at me and my wife and, and she says, I'm, I'm sorry, but I can't detect a heartbeat. And <clears throat> I think what I, in that moment experienced more than anything was just this overwhelming shock mm. that no one could have prepared me for. I, that was the last thing that I would have ever expected to hear in, in that uh, appointment. Right. So my initial reaction was just, I was so shocked. I, I didn't know how to process what I just heard. I was just stunned and uh, did not know what to do. And, and in many ways, numb. My wife, on the other hand, it was just this immediate grief and sorrow that um, just overwhelmed her. And, you know, we were um, rushed into another room and a few minutes later, the doctor comes in and, and informs us that we've lost our child. Um, and so again, I, I was ill-prepared uh, for, for that moment and that just set in motion a season for us of just deep sorrow, uh, deep grief, uh, and, uh, you know, everything that happened after that, I mean, just the call that we had to make to our parents and, uh, you know, the contacts that we made with our friends and our church and um, just, you know, that day in that moment, I mean, ev our lives just changed. And uh, um, it was it was just a, a, a season of unbelievable uh, grief and, and sorrow. Yet, through it all, um, though we weren't uh, equipped to know how to walk through that season, the Lord was so gracious and so merciful, mm. so kind to us and walking alongside of us. And he taught us so many things about himself. He taught us so many things about ourselves. And uh, he taught me how to help others mm -hmm. uh, who have experienced um, the loss of a child through miscarriage. And so what I have discovered since that happened, which uh, is a little over seven years now um, removed from, from uh, September 9th, 2015, is that many uh, of the members of our, our churches are are not prepared um, to to experience this kind of loss, and so I've just had the opportunity to walk alongside them now and to to teach them what the Lord has taught us, and uh, not just members of our, our own church, but um, other pastors that maybe have experienced what we've experienced or haven't experienced what we've experienced, but have been able to help them to help their uh, members in, in their churches. And so that's, that's why I wanted to write that article. And uh, um, it's just something that I'm constantly thinking about because miscarriage is much more common than we might right. think. The statistics are hard to, to, to uh, nail down, but you know, I've heard anywhere between, you know, 15% to 25% uh, 
of pregnancies will end in a in a um, in losing the child through miscarriage. And so, when we look at our own churches and look across, you know, the congregation, you have to wonder. I mean, how many in here have experienced the loss of a child through miscarriage, and and how many will uh, as we move forward? You know, it's it's interesting, <clears throat> not just in life and. Um, you know, personally, but but just in ministry, also hearing so many stories and so many. There's so much overlap mm. uh, with stories. Mine is is very similar to yours, uh, Jordan. We um, we were uh, two for two. So my firstborn Joshua uh, was born in 06, 2006, and then in two thousand eight we had Noah, and uh, we were in uh, we were in seminary at the time. I was I was studying uh, for my master's degree in seminary. And we were broke in true seminary couple fashion. Uh, you know, we weren't making much <laughs> at all. And, and so our first year was in 07. So Joshua wasn't yet a year old when we moved to, uh, when we moved to seminary. And we had gone through the semester. We're trying to figure out how we're going to make ends meet. We don't really know how we're going to make ends meet except just to cry out to God uh, literally day and night. And... And Annie came up to me uh, right around Christmas of 2007 at the end of the semester and said, surprise, we've got another one coming. And that was <laughs> Noah. And so, and you know, we had, you know, God had given us two children. We're trying to figure out how we're going to take care of these two children when it was right about the end of 2008 uh, into the beginning of 2009, uh, right around that area, uh, that, that, that time when... Uh, Annie came to me again and said, we, we've got another one coming. Uh, and, you know, again, we're thinking, all right, well, we'll try to figure this out. We'll try to, you know, figure out how we're how we're going to do this. Um, uh, I don't know how I'm going to take care of three. I, I didn't really know how to take care of one. Um, <laughs> and so uh, to have, you know, just back to back to back like that was mm. just was just amazing. But it was right around that time. Uh, it was actually, um, if I remember right, it was actually uh, late winter, early spring of of, of two thousand nine when uh, when we found out that we were going to be having a baby. Uh, so it was it was a little bit further into two thousand nine, early two thousand nine. And I remember this because the movie Up had had uh, had come mm. out into theaters, mm. and we had already planned that that opening weekend we were going to take the boys to go see the movie. And uh, obviously Noah was just months old, so you know it had zero effect on him. Uh, Joshua was a toddler, and so to see this big, you know, animated movie was was kind of a big deal uh, for him. You know, he gets to go see the movie with the big kids uh, and everything. But we went to see the movie. Obviously, you know, it's it's common knowledge now. The the opening montage, you know, about ten fifteen minutes of the movie, just going through the life. Of the uh, of the I forget his name, but the older the older guy, uh, the older character, and I remember sitting there, and we're just you know Annie is holding one son, I'm holding the other son, and we're going through this montage totally unprepared because I mean it's opening weekend, nobody knew how this movie was going to start, and to be in a theater where everyone is openly bawling <laughs> and we were too i mean it was just the beauty of life you know as we're we're sitting here watching this we're we were just overcome you know by you know with emotion and everything i'm holding you know one son and i'm just gripping him and just <laughs> and just crying like a baby uh but anyways the movie's over and we went to take the kids over to the mall 
to the candy store. And so we went over to the candy store, walked around a little bit. Annie needed to go to the grocery store, so I took her over to the store. I stayed in the in the car with the boys while she went into the store. And she called me uh, a few minutes in, and she said, something doesn't feel right. Uh, she, mm. she just said, something doesn't feel right. I think we need to go home. And so I said, that's okay. Come on, you know, just get what you what you got. You know, we'll, you know, just trying to accommodate as, as much as I can. Obviously, you know, pregnancy is a is a tender season. And so, mm-hmm. all right, that's fine. You know, we'll we'll go ahead and, you know, just get home. And she went home and she laid down. And for a couple of hours she laid down. And and she didn't feel any better. And mm-hmm. that's when she said, I, I think we may need to go to the doctor. And so we had a friend who came over to watch the kids, um, and I took Annie over to the uh, to the doctor, and we were there into the middle of the night. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we, as the time went by, it was becoming clearer and clearer to us what was happening. Um, and and so we went through all of that. Uh, the you know we we wound up losing the baby. Um, the difficulty, as as you said, Jordan that kind of comes after is not just feeling all of the emotions that we're feeling and the, and as you said, the shock of all of that, Mm. but then your mind turns and goes, how do we say this to anybody? And the thing Mm -hmm. that made it really awkward for us was Mm -hmm. Annie had uh, a baby brother who was getting married uh, in just, uh, just a couple weeks after. And we were, we didn't want to rain on the, well, we didn't want to overshadow uh, mm-hmm. his wedding and, and just mm-hmm. show up and say, hey, congratulations about the wedding and all. But hey, surprise, we've got another baby coming. Uh, so we were planning to wait until after the wedding to tell mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. that we were, we were having another baby. Well, obviously, the message completely changed. So it went from waiting to tell everybody we're having a baby to now going, how do we tell them not only that we were having a baby, but we've lost the baby? Right. Um, and so that made it really, really difficult. Um, it was a it was a, a tough, tough season. Uh, that was also on a Saturday, uh, that uh, early, early Saturday morning. Um, uh, or, or, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, uh, now, now my, my my mind's blanking on me. If it was a Saturday or Sunday, but what? Anyways, what what was important about that was I was scheduled to preach mm. that Sunday. And I just thought in the moment, I still think I should preach. So that was an awkward thing for me, too, of kind of suspending emotion and suspending you know, response and so on. But I, I knew a couple of things. One, I needed to be in the church. We need to be there. Yeah. Uh, there there's nowhere else that I, I want to be right now than with my church family. I need them right now. Mm. Um and and then there was just the 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 overwhelming sense of of Job, you know, um, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I uh, shall I return? Um, uh, you know, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I I just had this sense of I have to be in the presence of God. I have to worship Him. I I, I don't want to do anything else right now. And I remember when I was done preaching, I sat down and we sang a song, you know, like a typical Sunday. We sang a song afterwards. And that was when the world for me just completely collapsed. Mm. And I just remember being there and just all the emotion that I was trying to hold together, I couldn't Mm. hold anymore. And it was there, you know, with my church family that that, you know, everything just just bottomed out. 
Um, one more thing that was really helpful. We we went into church. Annie, uh, um, uh, I can't remember where she was uh, that Sunday morning, but I remember that I went into our our. We had a small group that met Sunday morning, and she couldn't be there for 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 some reason that I can't remember now. But uh, I told her it's okay. I'll I'll go and I'll be with them uh, because we needed. I, I just I I needed them to know and I needed them to pray. And we went over there, and they did something that was really interesting. This has never happened before, and it's kind of become a template for me in understanding what small group ministry is mm-hmm. and what church community is. We we had a time, you know, we would get together, we'd share prayer requests, and then we'd have some Bible lesson, and then we'd pray, and 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 so on. Well, it came to me, and they asked how they could pray for me, and I told them everything that had mm-hmm. happened, uh, you know, in the in the previous hours. And they stopped everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all came around as, mm-hmm. a, as a family, as a group. And they laid hands on, on me uh, as kind of the representative of the family that was there. And, and we spent the entire rest of our time together in prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and that mm-hmm. is just cemented in my head. And it's like, this is what a church family is. Mm. This is what a church family does. We bear one another's burdens. You know, we weep together. We cry together. We cry out to the Lord together. This is what we do. Um, And so anyways, it was was a a, a tough season. Um, I wasn't expecting to have the emotions that I did. Most of the time we talk about miscarriage, and we could probably talk about this a little bit later. Most of the time when we talk about miscarriages, uh, the, a lot of the focus is on the mom, and that's and that's totally appropriate. Right, right. Uh, but I didn't have a category right. for how mm. I was supposed to process mm. as dad. Um, h- how do I do this? I don't. I don't. I don't know. Like I, <laughs> I've I've never been a part of the discussion of of how mm. dads process miscarriage, and so that was something that was um, just an eye opener for me. Uh, the world mm-hmm. of emotions that I felt. Along with wanting to be there for Annie and care for her and 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 love her and um, kind of assuage any fears and doubts and so on, you know, second guesses and so on that she had, um, uh, you know, there was there was just a world of emotions that I was feeling that I didn't really have a category for, mm-hmm. uh, but the Lord was very kind um, in teaching me through all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, man, it's uh, it's just amazing just hearing y'all talk and just thinking to myself, yeah, like I. I 100% relate to that. My wife and I uh, suffered a miscarriage last year, uh, and I can say without a doubt that it was one of the most difficult seasons uh, for us. Jordan and I were talking before we were recording and and saying the same thing, just a very difficult Mm -hmm. season. And it it was a season that I'm still seeing the impact on me even today. Mm. I was working a lot here. Uh, I was taking my first Ph.D. seminar here at Southeastern with with Dr. Uh, Stephen Ecker on uh, Reformation theology, and my wife and I were expecting our third child. You know, we have had two healthy kids, and uh, we didn't we weren't at the place where we were telling a bunch of people, but we had told some people. Uh, her parent her parents. We told our kids. Uh, they were super excited. We told them in a really fun way. Uh, our three year old didn't know what was going on. Our seven year old our now seven-year-old, did know what was going on and was very excited uh, to be a big brother again. 
And you know, I'm not going to go into all of the details for time's sake, but my wife went to one of her appointments. COVID rules were in full effect. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to go with her. Uh, I was I was home with our kids. And she called. And my son and my daughter were both with me. Uh, we were expecting to hear just that everything was okay. Uh, we, we didn't really suspect that anything was wrong. My, my son had been super invested leading up into this. Like, uh, you know, we were keeping track of the baby's growth with the app, you know, the really cool app that mm-hmm. tells you your baby's the size of an orange or, or, or whatever, you know, the, the size is that week. And so he, he was just super, super invested in, into all of that. And so Debbie calls and, and I put her on speakerphone, again, expecting just to hear mm-hmm. everything's great. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard just sobbing and crying, and I, she finally was able to say there's no heartbeat. Mm. And immediately my son is distraught. Mm. He's mm. crying, screaming. He's confused. I was in just complete shock. Mm-hmm. In my head, like there, uh, right along with you, brother, like there was no category. There was no, like I, I never thought this would have happened to us. Even though, like what you're saying, Jordan, the statistics are very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked them up on several resources, you know, anywhere from 15, 20, 25 percent. Like, this is very common. Uh, but I just didn't think it would ever happen to us. We had two kids that, that were healthy. You know, we, we went through this process twice before, and there was no reason for us to think otherwise, uh, that, mm-hmm. that something bad would happen. And I just wish in that moment that I could have been there to wrap my arms around my wife who was by herself. Uh, like she had to hear there's no heartbeat by herself in a cold uh, in the room that she was in. And I wish that I could take the pain away from my son in that moment. That was very hard to see my son wrestle with with this. Uh, and the days that followed were incredibly hard mentally, spiritually, and physically, uh, especially for my wife. Uh, but God was so faithful. And I, I, I'll, I'll share two ways. I may add a third one, but two ways that we just saw God's faithfulness. And you know, as, as I was telling you, Jordan, before we were recording, we're still seeing uh, God's mm-hmm. faithfulness uh, looking back. In the moment, you, don't, you see it, but then you look back time later and you're like, man, I really see it. Mm-hmm. I, see, I see God in this. And so one of the ways is we were just able to teach our son about the fallenness of this world. Yeah. I remember having the conversation with them, son, it's not supposed to be like this. Mm-hmm. This is not mm-hmm. the way it's it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in that moment, you know, we were able to to share the gospel with him. Uh, two, I mentioned that I was taking a Ph.D. seminar. Uh, and during that seminar, I was tasked to read a number of 16th century texts, including a piece written by Martin Luther uh, entitled Consolation for Women Whose Pregnancies Have Not Gone Well. Uh, Luther wrote this in 1542 as a guide for Christians who were caring for grieving parents who had experienced the anguish from a miscarriage. Uh, Luther and his wife uh, had experienced this pain in 1540. Uh, his wife had a, had a miscarriage. It impacted her health severely. She wasn't able to walk for a period of time. Mm. Uh, and I'm reading this the week we found out about our own miscarriage. Wow. And I was just absolutely stunned. Mm-hmm. by the counsel Luther offers here. I mean, like Luther demonstrates such a presence, mm-hmm. which we'll get into in a little bit uh, with just tips for pastors, in his words. Uh, he opens the text acknowledging the agony parents, specifically mothers, experience when suffering from miscarriage. He writes, we ought not to frighten mothers with such unkind words. It is not their fault. Mm-hmm. It is not their mm-hmm. carelessness 
or neglect that caused the birth of their child to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's just such a, a good reminder for pastors yeah. Yeah. that women really do struggle with this. Mm-hmm. And mm. many think it is their fault. And one of the first things we as husbands, mm-hmm. is one of the first things I said to my wife when she got home was, it's not your fault. Yeah. Luther then moves on and writes, rather than counseling mothers negatively, let's, let's do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And he points out first that we do not and cannot know why this happens. You know, he writes, we may not and cannot know the hidden counsel of God, but that mothers may find comfort and have faith. God's will is at all times better than our own will. Hmm. Even though in the midst of our darkness, it looks much different. They need not doubt. God is not angry with them or with others who are involved. Again, like I'm reading this the week of us finding this out. Mm -hmm. And brothers, I read over the quote where he says, God's will is at all times better than our will. Mm. And it still just sticks with me. I mean, I'm, I'm preparing for this episode last night, reading over this again, sitting with my wife, and just amazed, mm. again, that these words still just hit me the same exact way. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the second point that Luther makes is just God's faithfulness to his children. He writes, mm. God regards Christians as precious, and their prayer is powerful and great. They have been sanctified by Christ's blood and anointed with God's Spirit. Whatever Christians sincerely pray especially in the unexpressed yearning of their hearts, becomes a great unbearable cry in God's ears. God must listen. Mm -hmm. And again, just hearing the God must listen, like God is Mm -hmm. faithful and he listens to us. Mm -hmm. And then Luther ends the piece saying, therefore, we must leave such situations to God and take comfort in the thought that God surely has heard our unspoken yearning and done all things better than we could have asked. I mean, I'm here experiencing this deep grief and agony and and God's good grace reading this reminder written by a reformer in the 16th century of God's faithfulness in the exact situation I was in. Did it fix everything for me and my family? It did not. Did it heal us in the moment? It did not. But did it provide comfort knowing that God loves us deeply and was present with us in our suffering? It totally did. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to share this with with multiple brothers uh, over the past couple of months, actually, who were just looking for ways to care for their wives and themselves after suffering a miscarriage. And then the third one, I said I might add a third one, is just the presence of others. Uh, The brother sitting right next to me right now, I just remember not even, you found out, I don't even, I think I may have told you, but I just remember being at work, sitting at my desk. He walks in. And he says, come to my office. Mm-hmm. And we just weep together. Yeah. And he prays over me. My major professor, Dr. Stephen Ecker, uh, if you know him, you know him. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that wears the, the Nikes, the frosted tips, the Brad Pitt lookalike. If you catch him, you might see him in a Boba Fett outfit. You know, he's, he's kind of a hidden gem here at Southeastern. He was just so gracious with me as well. And I remember him coming into my office and just saying, don't worry about these assignments. Like, don't worry about them. There's no deadline. Mm. You get them done when you get them done. Right now, you care for your family. Mm-hmm. God used the presence of others. I remember my pastor, we were at this, uh, I think it was a week or two after uh, we were at this event at our church, and my pastor finds me. He says, where's your wife? And I point where she's at. And he just goes over there, puts his hand on her shoulder, and just says, I'm so sorry. Mm. And... uh just the presence of other people mm-hmm. were very, very important 
and our healing and and processing. So we've shared a little bit about just our experiences. Let's let's spend a little bit of time just instructing guys listening, uh, pastors, church leaders, on how they can shepherd couples in their church who might be either experiencing this or who have experienced and are still feeling the weight, the grief from it. Yeah, so, you know, this is really where years after we experienced uh, the loss of our, our second child through miscarriage, I, I just had time to, um, to think through our experience and then what the Lord taught us through the experience and then was able to develop some encouragement and sharing of wisdom with with others. And so a lot of this is in the article that that I wrote, but I just wanted to point out a a few things. One, to piggyback on what you're saying there, Brandon, about just the presence of of other people. Certainly for the, the pastor in this situation, his presence is going to be vitally important. And it's going to be a case by case basis on when the family is ready for that presence, but whether it's in person or through the phone, the presence of the pastor as the under shepherd communicating that comfort, care, love uh, is vitally important. But then just knowing that there are so many others who have experienced this before us, there is a, there's a comfort in that there are opportunities in that to learn from others, but there's really um, an empowerment in that, especially as it relates to spiritual warfare. When you're walking through this and the enemy is planting, you know, these uh, deceitful lies that this was your fault, and if you would have done this differently, this wouldn't have happened, and goodness, just starting to dwell on the, you know, perpetual hypothetical of, you know, if I could have gone back and did this and and, and what have you. Scripture says that he's our adversary, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He wants to feast on our faith. And it's interesting in that passage where Peter tells us that certainly the rest of Scripture teaches us that there are ways that we are on guard and do battle with uh, the devil and the demonic regime. Um, certainly Ephesians 6, putting on the whole armor of God. But it's really interesting that when Peter is speaking about the presence of our enemy prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, he says that we're to be sober-minded, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and to be watchful. And in verse 9, we are to resist him firm in our faith. But he says we're supposed to do this with a certain knowledge, and that is we're to do this knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think what scripture is teaching us here is that there is a unique power in solidarity in suffering that when we know that there are other brothers and sisters throughout the world, but even within our own local context who have experienced the same kinds of suffering, there's a power in that. Um, and we as shepherds, as pastors need to foster that we need to, in our churches, be aware, uh, in as much as it's possible of who has experienced the loss of a child through miscarriage. And as this occurs to be able to bring those people together and to connect them so that they can encourage one another, 
and find that solidarity uh, in, in the midst of, of their suffering. And so again, this is, it's requiring the, the presence of the community of faith, mm. uh, that we, we can't walk alone through this. God has given us um, the body of Christ so that as its members, we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those uh, who weep. Which has a tremendous um, impact. I mean, just listening to, to Ron Jor just mm-hmm. talk about that small group, just pausing what they're doing and, and taking time to weep and pray with them. And I mean, it's just impactful. One of the things that I want to point out real quick from your article, uh, I mean, just looking over it again last night, that I'm just like absolutely 100% was the third point you make in the the lessons which is to treat the miscarriage as a loss of a loved one because that's what it is. And I think that's that's just really important that this is this is the loss of of a of a life. Absolutely. And and I think one of the one of the things that the Lord one of the many things that the Lord taught me through this is that very thing, but it really put to test my my pro-life ethic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean if if mm-hmm. I really believe that this is um the image of God fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb, then I ought to treat it as such. And when uh, a loved one outside of the womb passes, we know how we treat that situation. And so that's one of the things that the Lord taught me that we should treat the loss of a image bearer of God that's still in the womb in the same way, in as much as it's it's possible, as we would treat the loss of a loved one outside of the womb. And so, again, so much of shepherding um, our our people in this is teaching them that that this this is um, a an image bearer of God that you carried was fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God, uh, and even though you never met this child. This is what the child was and is. And so one of the ways that we, in in our experience, treated uh, the loss of our child as the loss of a loved one is that we held a funeral and a burial for for our child. Mm -hmm. And I certainly encourage families that are walking through this um, to do it, to, to do the same. And, you know, we've got to preface this by saying that every situation is going to be different. Uh, Every hospital has different policies. Um, But for us, we didn't know until we asked. And so when we went to uh, sit down with the director of uh, the the pregnancy center there at the hospital that we were at, I just came right out and told her that, look, we're, we're followers of Jesus. And we believe that this miscarriage was the loss of our beloved child. And we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And we believe that on the last day, Christ is going to return. He's going to raise this body from the grave. And therefore, we want to treat this body with dignity. And we want to place it in the grave as a testimony to our hope in the the gospel. And I'll never forget it. She was blown away. She told me that she said, I've, I've never had anyone request this. I, I don't even know what to say in this moment. And we ended up, um, you know, just through a, a process, we ended up, um, I was able to act as the, 
a funeral director who signed for the body of our child. And uh, just I'll, I'll, this would be a good place for me to, to share this here. This is something I also encourage uh, families who are walking through this um, to, to look for. That was a unique opportunity for us to bear witness to the gospel. And uh, in the moment, like I wasn't trying to be strategic or anything like that. It would just, it just happened. It came about. But I remember just explaining to her like why we have this hope and, uh, and why we believe that we, we should treat the, the body of, of our child that we just lost through miscarriage with dignity and respect and great care. And she just, she broke down in tears. Mm -hmm. uh, she'd never heard such a thing before. And so it was just a wow. unique opportunity um, to bear witness to the gospel of life in the midst of uh, the suffering of, of, of death. And so from there, you know, what we did was, uh, and this is one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do. I built a little casket. Mm. Um, and, and just having to do that was, um, you just don't have a category, right? You know, I'm used to, you know, d leading and officiating funerals. And when you think of a casket, it's really big. And, and here I am building this small box, right? Mm. And, um, but our family, um, my side of the family, we have a, a private uh, cemetery where I grew up and and um, we had a little plot there and we had a small family funeral and I was able to just share the, the gospel with our mm -hmm. family members that came and we buried our, our second child there uh, in our family's private cemetery. Mm -hmm. And we, when we go to my hometown, we try to, to go and visit uh, as much as we can the gravesite and uh, and to reflect on God's goodness through that season of life. And it's a it's a great opportunity also for us to teach our, our own children now about their sibling that right. they never got to meet, but we believe one day we will meet in heaven. And, um, and then, you know, the final way that we treated and do treat uh, the loss of our, our second through miscarriage uh, as the loss of a loved one is we named our child. Mm. And so we named, we say her because my daughter's convinced it was a girl. <laughs> uh, and so we named her after Titus 2.13, uh, Blessed Hope, mm. uh, where Paul says that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. And uh, every time we say her name now, we are reminded of the hope mm. that we wow. have beyond the grave, and that is the second coming of Christ. It's mm. the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. And that was just a beautiful way for us to um, treat this child as what she really is, mm. uh, and that is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and um, with the Lord now and waiting uh, for that blessed hope. Mm. Yeah, I, I, uh, everything you said, um, I, I second, Jordan. It's, it's just one of the things that you realize as a pastor is that there are, are seasons and moments where the most theologically sound thing you can do is be quiet. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and, I, and I mean that in the, in the truest sense. Uh, mm -hmm. The silence of saying, I'm not God that God is greater than we are. Kind of what you were saying, Brandon, with, with, with uh, Luther's words. I don't know. 
the Lord's you know, purpose and plan in all of this. I don't know why he would choose you to walk through uh, the season of sorrow and loss. I, I don't know um, all of these things. Um, but there are things that I do know to be true mm. of him. I know that he is sovereign. Mm. I know that he is good. I know that he is faithful, that that he can't not be good and sovereign and faithful. Um, and, and that he... That he who sent his son to go through the valley of the shadow of death and come out of it as the resurrected Lord is the one who walks with us through the suffering um, and 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 brings us out, you know, uh, into glory. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I tell folks uh, very, very frequently uh, that um, there's no such thing as a wasted suffering. Mm. Um, it doesn't exist in the hands of a sovereign God. And so there's a purpose to this. There's a plan to this. There, there is a good end to this, even in the midst of the sorrow and the, and the, and the ugliness of death. When, mm. we're, when we're staring at it you know, in its face and we see it for all of the wretchedness that it is, um, it is a defeated foe. Mm. Uh, mm. It is a defeated foe. King Jesus mm. will have the last word. Um, and death, death is not a period. Yes, yes, mm. yes. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And so, and so, there, there's a time to share all of that. It, there's, there's much wisdom, I believe, guided by the Spirit to to know when those moments are. Um, but. But as, as I said, you know, uh, you know, silence can be a very theologically sound thing. Tears can also be a very theologically sound thing. Weep with them. Um, mm. They, mm. they are feeling the effects of the very curse that Jesus came to redeem. Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus. And Jesus knew that Lazarus was, was dying. Jesus knew that Lazarus died. And he came to the tomb, and they opened up the, uh, uh, they they rolled the stone away, and so on. And they talked about the, you know, um, uh, you know, his sister was uh, Lazarus's sister was talking about the stench and and all of these types of things. But even in the midst of all of that, Jesus, in in what is just eminently pastoral, uh, uh, he weeps. You know, we talk about the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. It's one of the most profound verses in the Bible. Right. Jesus mm. wept. Mm. He knew what he was about to do. Mm. He knew all of these different things. And yet in that moment, looking at death, seeing his friend uh, wrapped in, you know, in, in burial cloths and all of that, he broke, at, he broke into tears. Um, mm. that, is, that is such a profound thing, I think, for us to remember as pastors. Um, yes, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He just said it yeah. <laughs> in, in John 11. And yet the one who is the resurrection and the life is also the one who is able to cry and to, and to weep as well. So silence, tears, knowing the, the timing, you know, uh, trusting the spirit, you know, and, and wisdom uh, to know when to comfort them with the hope of Christ. And understanding that just because there's silence doesn't mean there's not pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Pastor, don't confuse silence with healing. That the fact that these people aren't visibly shaken by this, so they they're okay. Don't mm-hmm. confuse that. Just because couples aren't sharing doesn't mean they aren't hurting. 
so find ways to come alongside them in their pain, check on them, be present with them, weep with them. I think those are all really, really good ways. Yeah. Uh, something else that I would I would say for pastors just to be aware of, and for for particularly husbands and 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 wives to be aware of, you know, when we were when we experienced this, uh, we one of my really really good friends and his wife announced that they were pregnant, and it was really hard on us uh, to see that, and we had to fight the temptation to be bitter, mm. uh, to see someone and to be reminded that every time we see a post. Of this, uh, of my friend with their son, that that would be our child at this stage of life, and uh, that was a real temptation for us, and we had to fight that. And mm-hmm. every time we see a picture of that little boy, uh, we rejoice mm-hmm. that that they were able to experience a healthy pregnancy. And so I, that would just be something that I would uh, that I would just instruct pastors to be aware of when they're counseling and caring. For, for couples to know that that's a temptation that can lurk and for couples that have experienced that themselves to, to not fall into that, uh, to not let bitterness take root in their hearts. I would also say, as we've shared, uh, Jordan, you've shared this, uh, I shared this, if kids are involved, don't ignore shepherding and comforting them. You know, I shared earlier that our son really had a hard time. Uh, we Pastors need to know that the that, that kids... They suffer from grief and, and confusion in these situations, just like we do. Yeah, and that uh, you need to be a, a pastor to them as well mm-hmm. in that season. That's good work. So, uh, any final words of encouragement for anyone who might be listening to this podcast, who has either experienced or that may be even in the process of experiencing this tragedy now? I would say two things. Number one, give yourself grace. When you see that you are are unprepared to know how to deal with this loss um, and you're struggling with how to process all of the emotions, um, don't don't beat yourself up with guilt and condemnation. God is a God who has given us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. And we ought to see our, ourselves in the same way. Um, and so, one, give yourself grace in, in this walk. But then secondly, there's two things to know. One, that God is trustworthy. And two, hope is real. Hmm. God can be trusted through this process. This literally is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Hmm. And when we are walking uh, that dark, dark path, uh, we can know that he is with us. His rod and his staff will comfort us. And therefore, we have no need to fear any evil. That is going to be difficult when you're there in the dark valley. But we still need to hear that, that the shepherd's presence is real Mm. and he's with us. And just as his presence is real, uh, so is hope. Mm -hmm. Um, Our blessed hope is real. And uh, when we experience death, it is a reminder that the world as it is right now is not the way it ought to be, Um, that we are experiencing the sting of death at present. 
uh, which should point us to the future where death will be no more, neither will, will there be sorrow or suffering or sin uh, or tears, because on that day, uh, all of our tears will have been wiped away by the nail-scarred hand of the one who sits on the throne mm. and who has declared, behold, I am making all things new. Mm. Uh, that hope is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would add, um, anchor your soul uh, in not just the the hope of Scripture, but if I could be even um, more practical, in in the deep, deep tradition of of songs um, and uh, uh, testimonies and so on of of those who have gone before us. Uh, who have walked the road? Uh, I, I forget if it was you, Jordan, or if it was Brandon that quoted First Peter, um, you know, in First Peter five, that that these are the same kinds of sufferings that that our brothers and sisters have gone through over this over the millennia, um, and they've found God to be faithful. Um, I love to to reference hymns like "It Is Well with My Soul," mm. uh, that is absolutely more real to me than it ever was, you know, before the 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 season. Um, great is thy faithfulness uh, that I can't sing without without tearing up uh, because it's seasons like this that remind me that these words are true, that mm. this is the God that we serve and he mm. is our good father. And uh, or even a more recent song that I remember from a gospel singer, uh, C.C. Winans, one of the gospel legends who has a song called He's Never Failed Me Yet. And uh, she tells the story about when she was a little girl and she'd hear these old folks saying, he's never failed me yet. And she'd always be like, what in the world are you doing? Why do you keep saying that? And she goes through life and everything and she goes through some seasons. And as she goes through those seasons, now she's the advanced (laughs) one. Uh, But she says, now the song that they sing is mine, oh mine. He's never failed me yet. And uh, just songs like these anchors for your soul uh, mm. to remind you that this is the God that we serve. And the testimony is is clear from generations past, even mm. to today. This is our Father, and he is a God who is faithful. Mm. That's a good word. Well, that'll do it for today, brothers. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with this and just for sharing some really sound pastoral wisdom on this topic. Jordan, we are so grateful for you, brother, and the work you do for our center. For those listening, you can find some more helpful tips. We didn't go over over all of them, but you can find some more really helpful tips on shepherding families through this by going to pastorcenter.org. Find Jordan's article, Shepherding Families Who Lose a Child Through Miscarriage. It will will definitely be a a valuable resource for you uh, as you navigate these things. Uh, And we want to thank you, listener, for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found today's episode helpful, uh, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And finally, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.